Romans 1. I think I'll turn there first. I'm going to go off my notes. and This hit me, so I think I'll start there. Romans 1. I'm going to do um, some of that I do last week over. I'm, I'm not going to do that, but I'll do a, a review and maybe go a little slower. Since I, I started pretty far back and was trying to get a whole lot in, so hopefully take some time and help this to make more sense. Um, but Romans 1 you know, is the, an accountability passage. Um, I often think about... Um, you know, teaching through Romans, I'm like, man, I think I get there, but <laughs> in my own private study, I'm not much past Romans 1. I, I keep going back to that passage again and again and again, and, and though a, a, the challenge of presenting it would help drive me forward, um, I'm not ready to yet, but uh, because Malachi just has, what, next chapter is four verses, <laughs> and so there's not much, and so we'll be somewhere, but I think I'm going to have another Old Testament book to go through that's short, but uh, um, Romans 1 has this first to where we are. Like I said, it's accountability. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I mean, that applies to us today, that we know that we live in a creation made by a creator. This does not just happen. I mean, if you just took symbiosis, if you just took and studied the cell, um, uh, oh, uh, Elaine went and took, uh, she's a cancer nurse, you know, oncology nurse, and so she went and she had to take some special training for this, and she was like coming home praising God. If you just knew the level of this one cell and how it goes and, and how we can you know, light this up and how it attacks and how we try to encourage this and all that, she was, man, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And she said, I had to say something to the doctor who was teaching the class. She's like, that doesn't just happen. He's like, that's a whole mechanism. It's how a society would work down on the cellular level. She says, it's just right there. And it seemed like there was something in that Is Genesis history movie that we saw that had something along that same line. And she was like, that's the same way. That's the feeling I had after watching that, after being in that class. We know it. Um, where we are, when we are, how, how these things are going, uh, that it works in this way. You don't, I mean, creation decries a creator. And this tells us that we clearly see it. It's been revealed to each and every one of us at one point in time. It's been revealed to us. There's a creator. We've had the thought, and we either move towards him or we move away from him. It says it's manifest to us. He showed it to us. It's clearly seen. We understand. We either turn towards him or we run away from him. And he says we're without excuse. We all stand in front of him knowing that he exists, and we've either run from him or we've run and sought after him. And again, I use the analogy that God plays checkers. You know, he, he moves first, he uses creation and whatever else to get us to respond to move and to draw us in, to get us to his special revelation of the word where he teaches us and instructs us from it. But he says, specifically even in our day, is that we change the truth of God into a lie. That's verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. That's our culture today, right? No, we made ourselves. Uh, we came up from, uh, we have, uh, there was a big bang and that exploded, nothing exploded, made everything. That's really what they teach. That's really what they think. Um, and then it became, um, planets, you know, so you have evolutionary, um, planetary evolution. Uh, they don't understand that. They don't know how it happens, but that's what they have to hold to. And then you have on that, you have, you know, biology that evolves from nothing into everything, getting more and more complex over time, which we don't see, we don't observe. It applies in the, in the face of all scientific principles. We don't see it, we don't observe it, but that's what we believe and hold to. Um, 
<coughs> technology comes from the, the Bible in that we see and know it and we repeat it. We can see and understand these principles, guides, and, and laws, and we're able to use that to advance. We have intelligent design. But we'd rather say we came from nothing, that we made ourselves. If anything, we came from the creatures. We are monkeys to men, you know, from... The catchy line is from the goo to the zoo to you. You know, that, that's how we came, you know, from the primeval soup, you know, to the animal uh, to now. But where science is showing us the Cambrian explosion, to use their terms, it wasn't just like, oh, one thing and it branched out and got more. It was everything and we've gotten less. You know, if anything, the tree's upside down. And so more things have died off. But we live in a culture that's based on that lie. No, there is no God. You can't even allow him into the argument. It's like, hmm, let's, let's st- if, if true science, you would say, how did this come to be? One of those would have to be supernatural that someone created and spoke into existence, but it's like, nope, can't be that. It'd be like the chief of police coming out here saying, oh, there was a murder, you know, the mayor's been murdered, um, but the suspect can't be white. Go find him. What if the guy was white? You know, all of a sudden, you just blocked out one of the categories you can't look at. It's like, it doesn't make sense. And yet, that's what they do. Um, and it goes on, it says, uh, verse 28 says, For even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, but God gave them over to reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Uh, and even verse 32, as it goes on, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That they take more people down with them, try to convert them to their cause, um, and bring more people over uh, to run from God. And so that's our culture today. So God writes a chapter like this, where the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this, to say, no, that's not how it is. You were created. I made you. It's clearly seen. You are... Nope, you know, people are without excuse. They know it, they clear it. I've had an encounter with them. Um, and so with that in mind, let's look at the one for the ancient world. That's where we are. That, that's the status and where we are today. So go to Genesis 6. And I say I'm not... It's a Genesis, uh, Romans 1 type event. It's not apples and apples quite exactly, but... We have a bizarre portion of Scripture... It sounds strange in our ears because it's not something we talk about. It's not something that we are taught that's real or can exist. But as we say, we take, um, I interpret the Bible plainly is how I try to say it. Um, I would say literally, but you know, then people are like, oh, you know, it says this over here, plainly. When, it's using, uh, when it uses symbology, I know it's using symbology. When it's using um, poetry, I know when it's using poetry. You know, so I interpret it plainly, how the author intended. Uh, I take it word for word, and I believe it's literal, but I have to say plainly because they, they use it as a word trap. But, um, and it tells us things like David fought a giant. You know, they found these giants. And we have all these strange stories that there are angels, that there are spirit beings that come down. We have all these different bizarre things. Snake talking, axe heads floating, dead people made alive, you know, that, and all these different bizarre things. It's in here, you know, and this is what we believe. It's part of what we understand. Miracles that happen, you know, that Moses was able to part, you know, the Red Sea. Well, God parts the Red Sea for Moses and as they go through. But these things happen. Great events where God shows himself. And one of the things he puts in here, because it's God's word, we know that the uh, New Testament tells us it's inspired, God breathed. And in Genesis 6, 1, he has, says, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, so we're back, in, you know, this is before the flood, and daughters were born unto them, and that the sons of God, the Benehoth Elohim, the, uh, these spirit beings, saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he hath also flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. 
And uh, it's not just how long we'll leave, live, it's from this decree, it was roughly 120 years before he flooded the world. That's what we say, that Noah built the ark for 120 years. It's during that time. Verse 4, uh, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which are of old, men of renown. Uh, and then verse 5 says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of his thoughts were heart were on evil continually. And he repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And so he's going to flood the world. He moves Noah to build the ark, uh, to bring in uh, two of every kind, seven of the clean, and uh, to, bring, you know, uh, to bring his family to, to survive on the other side. And so this is here to clarify. <clears throat> um, because, again, we see the world. Why is the world in the shape that it is in? Because we say sin. You're the fall. That's why. Because the fall from Adam and Eve, that's why this, the world is the way it is. The ancient world saw three different things. They saw the fall, uh, Adam and Eve, and the fall uh, there, the fall of creation because of sin. They saw this event, the angels interceding and messing up mankind. And we looked more at that last week of what all they did, which was not only did they... Uh, mingle their seed with the seed of men, that they also taught forbidden technologies and that they taught how to make war and how to, the, the instruments of war and um, astronomy, astrology, I want to say the right, astronomy, you can do astrology, you can't, and, you know, uh, dividing roots, drugs and things like that. They, they, they messed everything up. They just went after it and, and, and introduced it. Um, and, then, um, um, and then also, they also viewed, so they viewed, uh, the fall of mankind, uh, the angels interceding, uh, corrupting mankind, and then uh, the Tower of Babel, the split there. We're going to look at more of that later. Uh, yeah, sorry. Studying the gene splicing. Gene splicing, yeah. So the, they, they mentioned that. And again, we mentioned that from the book of Enoch. Is it a biblical book? No. Is it an extra biblical book? Yes. But is it one that the ancient people all read? Like we said, it was number three in the copies, amount of copies found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so you had... Isaiah? No, it was in front of Isaiah. I don't want to say it was Leviticus. I had my list. It's in my notes. <laughs> but it's, it's number three. It's, it's above Psalms. It's above, you know, that, that, they esteemed it in pretty high regard. They'd all read it. Um, is it the Bible? No, I don't think it is. But does it inform us of information? Yes. And there are other books that the Bible talks about. It. You know, is it not written in the book of Jasher? Is it not written in the book of Jubilees? As, it just says these are history. They're not my word. But they tell you about what's going on. Enoch is one of those books that it's in that category, as we'll see, it influences much of the New Testament too. But, um, but we're taking what we have in scriptures here. And so they saw three, these three events, uh, the fall, uh, the fallen angels incursion here, and the Tower of Babel, which we'll look more at what happens there and what makes it, that affects us here today more than these others do. Um, I just forgot something, okay. But uh, Genesis was written by Moses. Uh, and the story in their region and the place in which Moses lived in the area in which they grew up there, and um, they call it the Levant, uh, the fancy word for that whole area, um, told facts wrong. Basically, it was the Moses version of fake news. You know, that's, that's the buzzword right now for us, right? They had a fake news, um, which is not, shouldn't be surprised us. Satan is what? A liar. Jesus calls him, you're a liar, you're a liar from the beginning. You twist, you manipulate, you change the facts. And they usually say, well, a good lie is 99% true. You know, just change that little bit in there, just tweak it. And Satan's good at that. We saw him in the garden. And he does that here with this event in that in the culture, in that local area where Moses and the Jews were all growing up, um, 
in the Mesopotamian area there, uh, which contained Mesopotamia, Sumer, the Assyrians, and Babylonians, and a few others, I think it totaled about seven in that region, that they thought these demigods, which were what they called this offspring between angel and humans, uh, we're a demigod which is part mortal, part immortal. Matter of fact, uh, immortal is probably the better word to use for these supernatural beings than, better than angel, because... Uh, an angel is a job that an immortal can have and that they that can deliver a message. Uh, so I'm going to probably use the word immortal, try to make it more clear. In the Greek, they use the word archon. Uh, it means a ruler. Like That's what uh, Paul's talking about when he talks about that there are powers, principalities, rulers in darkness, these archons, uh, these, these immortals. Yeah. But we're not ready for the Greek yet. <laughs> but uh, um, the local story in Moses' day was that these demigods, or these part-mortal, immortal beings, were created by the god Inki, which sounds hinky to me, but <laughs> this is god Inki, and he made these creatures to establish culture, to give civilization to mankind, to teach them technology, um, that they were going to be spared through the flood by these instructors. Uh, and matter of fact, they served in the post-flood world uh, as priests and as adversaries, or advisors, eh, adversaries, advisors is the right word, my, my writing's wrong, um, to the king of Sumer particularly. Uh, and they gave a moral code called M-E, or me, uh, which is I-E, the law, how to live, you know, rules to govern them by. And they also taught crafts and the arts. And so they see this same story that I just told you about this bad angels doing bad things that corrupt mankind where God has to flood the world. They said, no, these guys were good. They taught us civilization. They taught us all these good things. Um, matter of fact, they called these beings uh, the Apkalu. That's A-P-K-A-L-L-U-S, if you want to look it up. Uh, and you could read this story there of the Apkalu. And uh, uh, out of this Apkalu, these ones that were this hybrid, um, one of them you probably know the name of because they had seven of them, and one of them was called Gilgamesh. Have you ever heard the Epic of Gilgamesh? Uh, that's one of this Apkalu. If you ever see a drawing of Gilgamesh, he has a lion under his arm like it's a kitten. So he's a big giant, and he wrestles around and fights and has all these exploits. And that, Again, it's one of the oldest um, books outside the Bible that's still around, the Epic of Gilgamesh. But it's based on these stories. So God has Moses put this in well, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is to tell the truth. He's like, no, these aren't good guys. These aren't guys who taught us good things. These aren't guys who are there to help us. These are bad guys that corrupted the world, and I had to wipe them out to start the world over. And so um, that gives us one of the reasons for the flood. Then we know that also after that, that happens where David and Joshua and all them have to battle them too. So immortal and mortal copulation begat giants, or these men of renown, also called the Nephilim, uh, we have skeletal remains on the earth, um, uh, many stories. Matter of fact, if you go around the world, there's as many giant stories as there are flood stories for each culture. And we think that's because when you had the Tower of Babel, and they all broke up, they all took their version. It's usually divided up into 70 sections. It was divided into 70 nations that they all had a story about the flood. And so you have many of those, um, Ken Ham and Andrews in Genesis, they, they account for a lot of those flood stories, you know, some of them. You know, somebody had the people in that day had a long spoon that poked the sky and some guy had to build a boat to, to help them all survive. You know, they have all these differences. There's the grain of the truth that's in there, but they all get bizarre. And so um, it's there, but you have that grain of truth. It's the same way here where God's just like, I'm setting you straight. You know, this is what was going on and I'm now making it right. And so um, the most famous story in our culture that, that, that has survived outside of the Bible is uh, the Greek Titans. Uh, 
We can think of them. We have the two of the main ones, Tennessee Titans and the New York Giants. Uh, no, that's just for joke. But <laughs> it does make you wonder why they picked those names. But uh, Titans and the Titans have names. Uh, uh, the first round of guys, we don't know as much. There's one that we know more about, but there's Coes, uh, Kronos, Cryus, Hyperion, Lapius, Oceanus, Phoebe, Rhea, Thea, and Theamus. Achilles, Hercules, Perseus. You know, we know some of these guys just from story. Um, they're being sold to our kids. They're packaged in a new thing called uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. He is a demigod who is an offspring of these. And boy, don't you want to be one? That's how it's sold to him. Uh, the newest version is Walt Disney's, how do you say the new one? Manoa? Man, Man, oh, Hawaiian girl? Moana, you know, the guy, the hero in the story is a demigod who can change and he's just force. And boy, you want him? He's your hero. You want to hang out with him? It's like, really? I don't think so, but it's being sold to us, and so it is out there. So a recent peer-reviewed uh, archaeological uh, uh, finding uh, document uh, reveals that the Bible, Amorites and the Rephaim, uh, the tribes that we know as the Amorites and the Rephaim, are the titans of Greek mythology. Um, again, like I said, we have this different stories, and it's like, oh, how can the Amorites be the Titans? Like I said, 70 nations split up. They all take a version of the story back. Nimrod has 70 different names around the world because he was the one building the Tower of Babel. So as the cultures all split, he sound, stands to reason he'd have 70 different names. And so they did. Uh, and so they get this from a funerary text called KTU 1.61. In case you want to look it up, but good luck. <laughs> but the, the, it says this, the Amorite kings of the Yurgarat were crowned in a, in a conjuring ritual to summon Raphaim and Titans who were considered their ancestors. So that's kind of the Englishized version of what they were doing where they say, oh, they were talking about the same people. Um, so I meant to have my chart up here to write, so I'll write in the air. So, go. <laughs> so, so and we know what beings exist. You know, we live in a day and age where they're crying out for um, well, disclosure, you know. Oh, let's tell us what's going on. What's going on? Do we know anything about aliens or not? You know, the Pedos... Podesta emails were all about that. We had uh, Ed Lovell, uh, an astronaut, saying we need, Obama needs to tell, he needs to disclose before he leaves. You know, that we have contact with all these aliens. You can look up those emails, which he admitted were stolen out of his thing. But, um, Do you know what I'm Huh? No, I, I, would, I would probably spell it wrong, but no, thank you. <laughs> but so, but um, now here's what we know exists. There's more than just us. There's God, right? And God is made up of three persons. The, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. So that's the head, that's the, the chief of all. Underneath that, we'll call them the immortals, the spirit beings, those who live in the third heaven, you know, not us, but them. And so uh, archons is what they're called in the Greek. And then there's men and women. We know them, that's us, right? That's who are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. That, that's where we are. And then there's a, a category that wasn't supposed to be when you have the immortals and men and women um, copulating, and you call them the Nephilims or the Giants or uh, Zopkala or whatever else, and so I have a bunch of different names. And so God doesn't sin, stands reason, he's God, he's righteous, he's holy, he's perfect. The immortals, some sinned. Um, and Second Peter uh, talks about them being in prison, locked up in jail. Jude talks about some that are in these chains of gloomy darkness reserved until judgment, and so we knew that there were some locked up in there, and we assumed that this was what it was for, Enoch tells us just flat out and says, this is what it's for. That's the only thing it does. But again, we, we kind of came to some of these conclusions just from the scripture alone, that these are locked up in prison. Others are free. Others are still good. We see in the book of Daniel, watchers that are still good, and they're able to decree and, and give God's decree and, and to um, 
interact with mankind in that way in which they were allowed to. Uh, men and women, we all die. We sin. We are made in the image of Adam. We have it passed down to us. And death is what awaits us. So God made a way of escape for us through his son, Jesus Christ. He became a man, came down here, lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, made himself the escape route, the escape hatch. Um, he's basically the ark, the Noah's ark for us in our day. If we all get in Christ, we can have salvation. You repent and trust in him, you can be saved. And you are beginning become a son of God. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, uh, the answer's in Genesis Museum, does an excellent job as a walk-through track. You start out with Adam in the Garden of Eden, and then before you leave, after you go through 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, the last thing you see is the last Adam. That, that's, you're supposed to sit through it, and it's a salvation presentation called the last Adam. Or the second Adam. So here in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 22, says, For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be all made alive. So Adam is the first man, and because he sinned, we are all plunged into death. Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He comes, does not sin, lives the perfect life, dies, and now if we repent and trust in him, we can all be made alive in him. Just like because of Adam, we all have death passed down to us. Now, because of Jesus Christ, we can have life passed down through us for what he's done, you know, through, the, uh, through this second Adam. Matter of fact, look at, uh, back up to verse uh, 21. It says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. We have the, the hope of resurrection through Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We have that opportunity because of what Christ has done for us. Um, look at First uh, Peter. It's to the right there. 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, in in the New Testament period, even more in particular than the Old Testament, um, Enoch was a hero. They'd read him. Jude quotes him. And so, like I said, shouldn't be in the Bible, but it informs us if you read it, you know what they are thinking about, and it helps you understand what they are talking about. Just like... If I wrote something about iPhones, and I think last time I said Switch, it's Twitch, isn't it? Isn't that the new Nintendo or the new thing? Twitch? Twitch? Switch? Man, I still got it backwards. Switch. Yeah, so whatever. It's got some new, I don't know. You know, different words. Maybe we could talk about our culture, and people would be like, I don't even know what, you know, if you went back to my grandparents, like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, and so probably in 100 years from now, they won't know what we're talking about. And, but. You know, so if you understood the culture of what they were doing, what they were reading, what they were thinking, it helps you be informed on in what they are doing uh, and what they are putting in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 1.12, it says, Unto whom it was revealed that not only themselves, but also they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Angels desire to look into. They, they, they want to know about this forgiveness of sins. They want to know about salvation. They are interested in you and I repenting and trusting Christ and having our sins forgiven. Uh, this is a foreign thing to them. They can't have that. Um, the word desire there, lust after. Boy, you know, there's some of them uh, who haven't fallen that are just interested in that we would choose this, that we've never seen God, and yet we repent and trust in him, that we believe him, we take him on faith, and, and that we believe him. There's others who have fled God and, and are, are living a rebellious life away from him that wish their sins could be forgiven, but they can't. You know, and so because 
He didn't become an angel. We'll see here in a little bit. And so um, they are desired into this. And so those that fell, especially those that in Genesis chapter 6 that were in that early judgment, they saw God. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the angels or the sons of God, the immortals, they watched him create the universe and rejoiced. You know, they sang. Job says in the morning stars, they, they all sang for joy. They, they saw what he was doing. They were all praising him. At the end of the creation week, all of them, you know, God says, it is good. That meant there was no fallen angels. There was nothing going on. It was all good. It was working out according to plan. That you had God, these immortals that were working, doing his bidding in heaven. Then he decides to make man. We were to do his bidding on earth. But sin comes in, you know. Satan doesn't like it. They don't like us being added to it. I don't know. They don't like us being made out of dirt and not stardust. I don't know. <laughs> they don't like us. And so he comes down. He's like, no, 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 no. We, we, it's me. I think I will be God. And so he introduces us, um, Eve sins, Adam sins, plunge us all into sin. But they are, you know, they are interested in this. Look at uh, verse 7, same chapter. <clears throat> so First Peter 1, 7 says, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He's trying to help us to persevere, you know, to endure uh, tribulation, to know that your faith is being tried and, and that um, you're going to come forth as gold. As we saw this morning, he's going to count you as a precious jewel. You know, sometimes we have to go through the tumbler <laughs> to, to, to roll us around and shine us up. Uh, verse 8, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's talking about faith there. You, you, you haven't seen him. Yet you love him, and whom now you, you don't seem, and yet you still believe. And he says, and you have joy, and you have, and you're full of glory, you know, because we trust in him and what's going on. Verse nine: receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied, or that grace should come unto you. The prophets didn't see all this. You know, they were talking about a time when we would have this, when Christ would be resurrection, and we could have salvation, and the Holy Spirit would dwell with us and not leave us, and you know, not depart from us. And we're in an envious time. Uh, it kind of makes you just want to say, praise God for where we live. Praise God for the country in which we live, that we have the gospel preached. Praise God that it's kind of our heritage to have a Christian foundation that is there in the, uh, you know, kind of in the American culture in that way. Praise God for where we live, when we live, how we live. You know, we are blessed by that because some nations don't have that. It's a hard thing for them. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not only themselves, but unto us did they minister the things which are now uh, reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel, uh, unto you which the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Again, like I said, Angels are just very curious that we believe, having not seen, and that we have salvation open and available to us. Uh, <clears throat> because um, we don't see and yet believe that these immortals, uh, there's immortals that are in, in prison, that have no hope. Uh, they're in there for their sin. They have no hope. And once there, um, we saw last week that uh, Enoch told some details. Uh, um, specifically, it went and it told about 
Azazel, I'm sure the guy said his name, uh, and I mentioned him and I pulled him out because he's the one that's called the scapegoat in the New Testament who's buried in a deep pit with sharp rocks on him that as he's out there year after year, the sins of the people on this goat was taken and added to him. It's not a sacrifice to him, it's added to him. It's a place saying, that, no, your sins are far away in a deep dark pit, never be remembered anymore. They're counted unto him because he was the one who introduced war and these other things. And so... Like again, that's, we looked at that last week, and so these are there. It's like it's a dark pit. Our sin is taken and removed far away. That is the picture that is uh, painted uh, for us. It's a uh, punishment was there for uh, uh, for those that sinned, uh, and for if you think of uh, those that angels that sinned and that before the flood incursion there, uh, that all their offsprings died. They died in battles. They died during the flood. Every man and woman who was not on the ark died, and so it was a time of a purging over the world. We've only lived in the world after that. But they wanted forgiveness. Some of them did. You know, after you're in a dark hole for a while with sharp rocks on you and you can't move, which sounds horrible to me. I can't imagine. There was some stupid artist, I'll call him that because that's what I think, and uh, it was over in Europe, but he cut a rock in half and carved out a spot just big enough for him to sit. He's going to lock himself in there for eight days? No thanks. <laughs> I, I like to move. I wiggle too much to be stuck in a rock. You know, for a time. I can't imagine being pinned down and trapped in there. He had enough room he could wiggle a little bit, but yeah, look it up. You know, a guy who artist traps himself in rock. Nuts. But, uh, but these guys would choose to do that, to be trapped in there. You know, after you're in that for a while, you're like, you know, this really wasn't worth it. You know, and so they wanted to be released. And uh, I don't think you have to speculate that. I, mean, I think if I was trapped in a dark hole in hell, I'd want help. Um, but <clears throat> there's no hope. Once you're there, you know, this is the time where we, we decide. The book of Enoch, like I said, extra biblical book. But the story that it tells is that they were there and they're like, hey, God likes Enoch. He didn't die. God took him home. Maybe he'll intercede on our behalf. And so the story that's recorded there says that they asked to see Enoch, that it was granted to him. He comes down and they said, will you plead on our behalf that God would let us go? <laughs> He's like, I'll go ask. So Enoch goes and asks. He comes back later. God lets him go down and talk to him. And his story is, yeah, ain't going to happen. <laughs> you sinned. You knew what you were sinning was wrong. You knew it was wrong. You took to pack together. We looked at that. They signed up. And he's like, no, you're here. This is where you're going to be. And so he goes down to those spirits in prison, and he tells them the bad news of this is where you're going to stay. And he goes back up. And so it's a weird little story in there. But but he tells it. And so um, it's, uh, like I said, it's it's different. And so, um, uh, so they're there. They're trapped. God sends the flood. Uh, you have the Nephilim, these these hybrids, um, also called Titans, also called Apkalu or whatever. Uh, they aren't men. They're not immortals. They're not spirit beings. They were some foreign creation. They're, they're something that wasn't supposed to be made. God didn't want that to happen. That's why you have all the Levitical laws of kinds stay within kinds. You know, it helps make sense of why all of a sudden, years later, now he puts all these laws. You don't lay with a pig. You don't lay with this. And he goes through, and, and it gets very graphic. And he's saying, you don't do this. You don't do what they used to do. You don't, you don't do what they did in, in, the, in those lands that they do that. Um, and so... Uh, they were all, uh, the records that we have and the stories that get passed down, they were all evil. They were cannibalistic. Uh, they were very violent. They were known for their lust. They were known for their pride. It's to the point where, you know, when they're coming out of Egypt, that God says the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. So you have to wander around. Or, or no, I think it was even before he put them into Egypt. You know, their the sin is not full. They go in Egypt for 400 years, and he's like, okay, now Joshua, go wipe them all out. These guys, 
this was after the flood, but they're just horrible. The Amorites, you know, how they lived and because they lived this way. Uh, matter of fact, when we get to on Wednesday night in First Kings, it's going to talk about how those things that Joshua wasn't able to get rid of all, how they start creeping back in. And they start doing the things that was in the land beforehand. And he told them not to. Destroy, destroy all this stuff. Don't be fascinated by it. Don't let it back in. And they start letting it back in. And it specifically mentions sodomy and, and all that as it comes in. And so he says, get rid of it. And so this is all introduced by them. Um, there's no resurrection for them. We saw that last week. Isaiah 26, 14 talked about that. They are dead. You know, there is no resurrection. Isaiah 14, 9 through 10 says the same thing. They are there, the chief ones down in hell. Um, and he says, because of that, you have no resurrection. Your spirits live on and you're trapped on earth. And that's the evil spirits or the demons. Um, they seek embodiment. Uh, are they ghosts? Uh, maybe they pass themselves off as ghosts sometimes and they pretend they're liars. You know, so I'm your Uncle Joe. <laughs> if, they, if that captivates you, keeps you in fear, and keeps you away from the Lord, yeah, they keep you fascinated by that. Um, one of the testimonies we got, as I've been collecting testimonies for the Jesus Barn, was that a, a guy was out ghost hunting. Uh, you've seen the shows, you know, they all walk around and scare each other. <laughs> and they record it and they have these meters and they do all this. And he'd been out doing that and it was to the point where he was turning his back on, he, he, he had dealt with Christianity and thought about it, knew there was something supernatural because he's out trying to see it. You know, he downloaded these apps on his phone and had different meters and they were going to abandoned houses looking for ghosts and doing all this. But he said, he came around the corner and he sees the Jesus bar. He says, you know, at the end there is judgment and he died for you. He said, it made him stop and think. He ends up getting saved because of it. One of the salvation testimonies I was able to hear because of this. And so, but he, but he does that and he was like, he goes, I know that there was something. And I knew that they were lying. And I knew that I was at a point where I had to make a turn. And he goes, it just, he goes, I took it as a sign that God used it to be able to, to draw him to, to, to salvation. Uh, but, but they're liars, they're deceivers. And so maybe so. Jesus said that they like it dry. They don't like makes come stands to reason. You know, if you're drowned by a flood, you probably stay away from water. Um, if you don't like snakes, you stay away from snakes, right, Angel? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and so if you don't like water, you stay away from there. You don't want to go to those places. Elaine used to always be afraid of a gravel pit uh, because when she was growing up, you know, her, her family, uh, her grandparents or her parents grew up in farms down around. Uh, some around Bedford, you know, Martinsville area that way, and some was out, they lived in several different places, but they had gravel pits around there, and she was always afraid, because I remember her yelling at the kids, they were playing on a pile of gravel we had in the driveway, quit it, you'll drown in that, and I'm like, a gravel pit's a hole where water gets, and they drown in the water, she's like, oh, that makes more sense, <laughs> so she thought they were drowning in gravel, <laughs> but, you know, five-year-old, you know, said, oh, don't play in gravel, you'll drown, uh, and so, uh, but, you know, she'd always stay away from that, you stay away from something you're fearful of. Don't tell her I told you that story. But, uh, and so it said that they like to go to the dead. <laughs> well, oh, thanks, Tim. Uh, so they like to go to dry desert areas. And we, and we read the story there in the New Testament where, you know, the, a man is demon-possessed, the spirit leaves, he goes to a dry area, comes back and brings more with him. Makes sense. Uh, we saw the story of the uh, demon-possessed man and the demoniac. You know, it says, I am legion. You know, he had all them with him who lived in the tomb, cut himself with rocks. And Jesus says, you know, they're like, have you come to... T- Lock us away before the time. You know, put us in the pit. And he's like, hmm, maybe. <laughs> he never, but he said, will you send us to the pigs? And so he's like, okay. Sends them to the swine. Swine want to get rid of the demons. They all go drown them in the water. Same way you get rid of them the first time. Drowns them in the water. I was just remembering uh, on the way in, I was look, thinking uh, there's the one in, in the book of Revelation that says there's the four that are bound in the river Euphrates, that he has them in jail underwater. That, that traps them in some way. I, I don't know if that's where the Catholics, you know, when they talk about holy water, 
Holy water is not in the Bible, but uh, maybe they just don't like water. And if there's an even-possessed person you're flinging on, I'm like, I don't like it. Maybe that's why it's just annoying to them. Get a squirt gun. Uh, but um, I've not had that encounter, so I don't stay away from it. So it's not in the Bible, but maybe that's why. It seems like they don't like water. Yeah. I don't think so. I think they want to possess something because they want to be in something because of, uh, you know, they can't taste, feel, do anything. But I think the pigs are like, maybe Jesus knew. Yeah, you can go in the pig. Yeah. So they were smart enough to Yeah. And so they got rid of them, tormented them again. Um, and this is building to a point. So I got uh, 10 minutes to get really fast again. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. So that's, that's scriptures we already knew and looked at. Enoch kind of tells us that, that, hey, they become the spirits. They can't taste or anything. Hebrews 1. And so they seek embodiment, one, to torment people, two, to have some experience of living. I don't know what it's like to not have a body. Um, that's why we are resurrected with a body, a promise that we have. Hebrews 1.5 says, um, For unto which of the angels hath he at any time... Uh, well, sorry, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be unto him a father, and to, him, and to me a son. To none. He's never said to any of the angels. One, this uh, reproves, or runs against the idea that Jesus Christ was just an angel. No, Jesus Christ is, is the son of God. He says, I said that to any of them. Or, he's not made them a son. We become sons or daughters. When we repent and trust in Christ, he adopts us. He makes us one of his. He promises that to us, but he doesn't say it to, the, to them. He didn't, Jesus Christ didn't become an angel and die for the angels. He became a man to die for men. Verse 13, he says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make my enemies, thine enemies a footstool? He doesn't say it to them. He doesn't promise redemption for them. He doesn't promise glory for them. Matter of fact, he says to you and me, You will judge angels. There's going to be reversal. They were over us. We're going to be over them. Uh, that's more we'll look at later. Now, verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? He says, I didn't redeem them. Matter of fact, the good ones that are left, they're there to guard and protect you until you become saved. Heirs of salvation. This is where a guardian angel verse, that there are angels who watch over us who are going to become um, get saved. And then once we do get saved, I don't think they leave. I think they, they stay and still watch out and, and help us. And so I think there's, there's a verse, if you ever wanted a guardian angel verse, Right there. So, um, if anything, they do things for us. So now in the last 10 minutes, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> One of the most avoided sections of Scripture in the New Testament. So to catch up to speed a little bit here is that Peter and the other disciples, they, their culture, they esteemed Enoch, which we do too, right? Enoch didn't die. 300 years, walks with God. I mean... We don't have a lot of details. We have what Jude says, that he prophesies about an end times event. Uh, we have the book of Enoch that maybe gives us a little more information. We just know that he was righteous. Uh, we know that his son was the trigger date for when the flood would happen. You know, his death shall bring. And then his great, his grandson, uh, no, great-grandson, uh, is the one who builds the ark. You know, so it's a good lineage to be in there. And, you know, he's in the lineage of Christ, too. But, um, so we know he's something. But he's super popular during the time of Christ, during the day of the New Testaments here. Uh, the New Testament people read it, they knew about it, and then they spoke in the terms of, it's called Enochian. You know, they, they, they referenced it in this Enochian text. Um, but Peter saw, he goes through and he lists a lot of types and, and shadows, and we know that they are there, and, and Christ told us. He taught them on the road to Emmaus and, and others, you know, these types and shadows and pictures and foreshadowings. 
Peter saw Enoch as a type. Uh, and I imagine you would if you were there witnessing a guy fly up to heaven. With, you know, he's like, you know, at the ascension, he's going to be like, hey, I saw this in the Old Testament. You know, and so between Elijah and Enoch, you would have that. And he's like, I see Enoch as a type, as I think you would. And so Peter imagines... And he's thinking about here in this section more of the spiritual warfare because the Jews, because they saw not only Jesus Christ at the cross defeating sin and death, but also he's turning over uh, the wicked stuff that the angels introduced and also the wicked stuff that goes on during Babel that we'll look at in the future. So he's, he's reversing all that and he's putting it back. He's reversing the effects of all those uh, incursions on mankind and he's switching it, putting it back on course. And uh, we're at the latter end of that. And so Peter imagines the spiritual warfare. So chapter 3, look at verse 12. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So he's drawn it a black and white. God listens to his. God intercedes on the behalf of his. <clears throat> God is against those that do evil. You know, and he begins thinking of the, the ultimate evil, you know, the, these, these bad guys, the ones who uh, you know, are locked away. Verse 13. Uh, and who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? He's like, you know, be on God's side. You know, it just makes sense. The battles are real. You know, error to be on God's side. And then he gives us some help here. Verse 14. But and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid for their terror, neither be thou troubled or be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He says, if you suffer for doing right, good. That means you're doing right. And if you're suffering for it, it's going to be counted towards you. Don't worry about it. Matter of fact, be ready to give your testimony. Be ready for the answer of the reason of the hope that lies within you. I'm not doing this because I'm me. I'm doing this because who died for me? Because I was a sinner and Jesus Christ died for me in my place. I repented and trusted him as my Savior, so I'm able to do this. And if you're going to punish me for it, so be it. You know, so he's giving strength to the martyrs here and strength to those being persecuted. Verse 16. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed shame that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. He said, rather, it's better for you to be accused and have it be a false accusation than have it be a real one. He says, so you just keep doing good no matter what. If they kill you for it, good. You know, in that, you know, <clears throat> you side on, <clears throat> you're siding with Christ, you're being righteous, you're doing right. And if they're going to be mad at you for that, Still do right. I think it's Bob Jones that's quoted as saying, do right, do right, do right until the stars fall. Just do right, you know. Um, stay at it. And so he, Peter is encouraging us to do this. Verse 17. For it is better, <clears throat> if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It's like, you know, it's a lot, makes a lot more sense. He's like, <laughs> if you're going to be in trouble for doing right, good. Because, hey, God writes it down and keeps a book on it, right? We, we saw that this morning in this morning. He, he keeps record of what you're doing. Um, and he says you're in good company. Uh, verse 18, For Christ has also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. So you're in good company. If you suffer for being right, Christ suffered for being right, and he brought people to him, maybe your death and your testimony will help win other people to him. He said, so you're in good company. So he's encouraging us to fight the good fight in the spiritual battle. They're going to lie. They're going to do whatever. He says, you do right. Uh, and he tells us this interesting point. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the flesh, flesh uh, filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Most skipped portion of scripture, probably right there, other than Genesis 6. They also skipped this one because they're like, I don't know what's going on. Jesus preaching in prison, I don't get it. Put yourself in Peter's uh, shoes. He sees Enoch as a type. He sees Enoch um, as, as a hero. And what did Enoch do? He went and delivered bad news to those in prison. Yeah, you're stuck down here. You're going to stay stuck down here. And so he sees Jesus Christ as doing the same thing. Uh, imagine the rumblings of hell. If we Again, this will have to be, uh, hopefully, good speculation in that uh, I don't know how well they can communicate down there, but what the news is, the Son of God came to earth. They killed him. Do you think the angels in prison, if they have any way to communicate at all, which Enoch said they at least were able to ask for Enoch to go, so maybe there's some every once in a while, woe was me, and they're crying, but they're like, they hear he's dead. And I imagine that made a roar. You know, they, we killed him. They're thinking, maybe there's hope. Maybe we do get out of here. Maybe we do get out of this tight place. Maybe we do get out of this dark hole. Maybe we do have a chance. We defeated him. But Jesus goes down there and says, yeah, I'm here, boys, for three days. You're still stuck in here. You're going to stay stuck in here. Matter of fact, I'm taking half of this because he goes to hell. And that's the, the, the Old Testament word, uh, shield, the grave. Uh, remember, it was divided into two halves. One half called Abraham's bosom, paradise. The other half, hell. Jesus Christ led captivity captive. He took those in paradise that were bought on credit up to the presence of the Father. Then hell hath enlarged itself. And so he's there. Yeah, well, here for three days. Bad news for you. Still bad news. You're staying in hell. You're going to stay here until the day of judgment. And so... Peter sees that. Peter says, man, he goes and tells them. He goes and tells those that are locked up that there's bad news for them. And then he says, he uses baptism as a picture. And he makes it clear. Baptism doesn't save you. He says, it's not like you're washing your skin. That doesn't save you. You need to be washed in the blood you know, as we sing the song. You need to repent and trust in Christ. It's not this act of baptism. But the act of baptism does paint a picture to those in the spirit realm. It is us saying that, one, we identify with Christ. It's everything that we mention. Uh, we are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The water is judgment. The water represents death. Those not in the boat die. You know, and so it represents all those things. And it also reminds these wicked spirits, whether they be Nephilim or whether they be these spirits, which were the offspring of them, which they like their kids, is that, hey, I was dead, but I'll be made alive. There's no promise of the resurrection for them. Hey, you were judged under the water. I get to come back up. Hey, you have no hope. Jesus Christ has pulled me out. He sets me on high. Hey, you are dead. This judgment for you, it doesn't bound for me. I am free. Matter of fact, it shows that I'm alive, that I'm a new creature, that I have, that I've been made into something that I wasn't before. You are stuck in that. I am free from that. So it reminds them that, yep, I will die, but I will rise again. You will not. Water was death unto you, it is not. It is not the grave for me. I will live forever in everlasting life. Jesus Christ saved me, he rose again, and he promises me I will raise again. And so the church used to say at baptism, uh, part of what they would say, they'd ask their testimony, you know, ask if, uh, if they believed, and why they believed. They'd bury uh, buried him in the baptism, raise the newness of life because of their testimony. And then they would also renounce the devil and his works and any hold that he had on them. I'm, I'm a new person. I break the bonds of Satan. I break the bonds of the one who, the master who was over me. I shun him and I've turned towards Christ. And so it was a breaking ceremony. I am done with, done with the devil. It's all buried. May it be buried like it was in that ancient world. May I be raised to a newness of life like we're in the new world here, you know, eight as an octave 
Uh, new beginning, right? The keyboard starts up again. Octave, eight on, the, eight on the ark, eight here, new beginning. It's a new beginning for us. We are symbolizing that uh, through the baptism as well. And I think that that makes it pretty cool that they saw baptism also as spiritual warfare. I identify with Christ. I am against you. And this is to remind you of the watery pit that you were in and that there's no hope for you. And so I think that's pretty cool. And it opens up this matter of fact, verse 28 or 22 says, who has gone into heaven is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He's no prisoner. They're all bowing down to him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what they thought might have been a victory, he goes down and reminds them, no, you're losers. You're still losers. You're going to be losers. Victory is mine. And one day this will all be done. And so, to me, that helps make that all make more sense. It helps open up these Old Testament scriptures and the confusing sections of the New Testament. The other ones, too, where Peter's like, why, not Peter, Paul, you know, why are girls to wear a hat? You know, because of the angels. You know, he's worried at what's going to go on. That's, we could spend other time on that one, but that's, the thinking's a even more strange than that. But he's, but he's basically, he's worried about that and, and stay away from it. But, but I think that's pretty neat to think about how it's locked away and how it's in there. Now, what I think I'm going to do next week is we're going to go back to the garden again, and um, we don't always have a, a full picture <clears throat> on who Satan is and, um, and how that works throughout the Bible some too. I want to look at the Nakash. That's what he's called. You know, we, it's always translated serpent for us, but that's not always where it's translated in the Hebrew. Again, we're reading a translation, so just going and looking what the Nakash is, what that might be, and how do we need to be on guard. Oh, another verse I didn't look up, but here... Uh, but one that we'll cover in the future is that one of the things I think we have to guard for now, if we are in the last days or like in the days of Noah, that it says in the last days that men will no longer endure sound doctrine. They won't read the Bible. They won't interpret the Bible. They won't go with what God's word says. But they'll what? Embrace the teaching of devils, demons, and take their instruction. Just like they did before the flood. And it perverted them and it caught them uh, in the trap and it led them to death and destruction. It says in the last days you've got to be on guard. There's going to be those that are be teaching in church, but denying the power of God. Matter of fact, it calls it the what? The great apostasy. We're going to turn our back on that, and they're going to follow the teaching of devils and demons. So we need to be on guard and reading the word and saying, is that what he said? Is that not what he said? Is that right or is that not right? So test me, hold me accountable, um, read all this, and, uh, uh, and, and test it out for yourselves. I'm just here, on, especially on this night, to, to show you what uh, some of the new revelations that we're seeing as these books are being opened and as understanding is coming that is explaining some of these more difficult texts. And so uh, we'll take a look at more of them next week as we come discuss them. But appreciate you all being here. And we'll be closing a word of prayer.